When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Could be bald and bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball, gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. Hi, everybody. Well, I know what you all must be wondering, but first, I want to go nuts with thank yous to my new patrons. We hit my goal of $850 last week, and then we kept on going, and now we're up to $886 with 271 subscribers. I'm so honored by how much you all care and believe in me, and I'm flattered that you think so much of the show that you would go out of your way to sign up, and it's thrilling to me that this has become real income. You are totally legitimizing me, so gosh darn it, thank you so much. Thank you to my newest subscribers, Katrina K, Krista M, Jessica M, Maddie C, Aaron S, Nisa H, Dixie P, Aubrey A, Amelia. And thank you so much to my patrons who raised their subscriptions. Kelsey, Amanda O, Bailey M, Camilla S, Carrie M, Jenny N, Elsa A, Harper T. Holy cow. And also, you know what? Thank you to all of my old subscribers for sticking around for all this time. So wonderful of all of you. Now, here's my news for the week. I have not taken a pregnancy test yet. I know, I'm sorry. I'm 10 days past ovulation, so I could take one and probably know right now, but I just don't feel like it. In fact, like last week, I'm doing my best to ignore the two-week wait. As I told my patrons yesterday, I may be doing too good of a job of ignoring my two-week wait because on Saturday I found myself six feet in the air on a trampoline, realizing that maybe I shouldn't be jumping up and down on a trampoline right now. And maybe I shouldn't have weed-whacked, fully vibrating my body and breathing in fumes for an hour. I wore a mask, but I could still smell the gas. Or maybe I shouldn't have been lifting those gigantic gas cans or lifting heavy farm equipment. (laughs) If I had done an IUI at a clinic, I wouldn't have been allowed to do any of these things. But you know what? I'm sick of altering my life and finding out two weeks later that it was all for naught. So I think it's healthier for me to just live. So anyway, yeah, it's all good. No regrets. Though I am glad that I immediately got off the trampoline once I realized it was not the best idea. Anyway, tomorrow I'll take a pregnancy test, and when it's negative, I'll take one the next day. And when that one's negative, I'll take another one, and then I'll take another one the next day. And on Thursday, when I'm 14 days past ovulation, that's when I'll be pretty darn sure I'm not pregnant, and that's when I'll stop taking progesterone. And after I stop taking the progesterone, I'll get my period about three or four days later. And why am I telling you this? Well, now here's the real news. Callie, Callie, I'm going back to Callie. 
That's right, I'm going back and I'm driving and I'm so excited. I finally get to take my road trip. I hate leaving my parents like it kills me. And none of my friends can understand why I'd want to leave this paradise just to go home and be alone in my house. But I'm so excited to have my cross-country adventure. And I'm so excited to take care of some important life stuff back home. And one of those things is my embryo transfer. Last week I read to you Dr. Chung's email about how I'd be able to start a transfer cycle this next cycle, but how I'd have to quarantine for two weeks if I flew, and that's how I decided that I would drive. If I drove and I didn't fly, I could avoid the quarantine altogether, provided that I'm super careful along the way. So I began to get super excited for my drive and I started planning it all out. And then on Friday night, I got an email from Dr. Chung saying that after heated debate at the clinic, They had decided that any patients coming from New York and New Jersey would have to quarantine for two weeks before entering the clinic, regardless of their mode of transportation. Well, there goes my excuse for driving. Planes are theoretically sanitized thoroughly, I know, but they're more crowded now that the airlines have, uh, they have fewer flights every day. And then there's the time you spend in the airport and all the people handling your bags, and how would I get from the plane to my house? I don't want to make a friend or a loved one come and pick me up and expose them to something that I might have picked up, and I don't want to take public transportation and further expose myself. But mostly I just wanted to drive. And now, with this, when could I do my transfer? So here's the deal right now. Once I get my period, I can take two weeks worth of birth control pills, which will cause me to start a new cycle as soon as I stop the birth control. So rather than waiting a full month for my next cycle, I only have to wait two weeks. It's a small difference, I know, but it's a world of difference when all you ever get to do is wait. So now that that's all ironed out, let me summarize a couple hypothetical schedules. Plan A, I get a negative test. I stop taking my progesterone on Friday. I jump in my car. I start heading west. Monday, I get my period, maybe. Tuesday, I start birth control pills. I take them for two weeks. That's two weeks where I'm basically quarantined. At the end of those two weeks, I stop the birth control pills. I get my period, and I start my transfer cycle. Plan B, I get a positive test. I'm shocked. I go to LabCorp for a blood test. And then I take things from there. But I still drive to Cali anyway because that's what I want to do. And in the end, if I get to L.A. and I want to go back to New York or if my folks need me for any reason at all, I can drive back at any time and I know the route. Now, I've taken up so much time and we have such an important interview today. I'm so excited to bring back Shelby Gale to the podcast, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Look at all my new hairs. That's a lot of hair. I know, I'm really excited about it, actually. Um, If you missed season one, Shelby is a woman I interviewed back when I was unsure about why I wanted to become pregnant, whether I I wanted to have a baby or whether I just wanted to experience pregnancy and childbirth. I talked to Shelby because she had been a surrogate to two families. She gave birth once to one baby, and then she was a surrogate for another family and gave birth to twins. After we met in that episode, Shelby went off and decided it was finally time for her to become a mother to a child of her own. Instead of searching for a known donor and wasting time doing home inseminations and IUIs, she jumped straight to InvoCell, from which she became pregnant and then had a miscarriage at about six weeks. And then she did IVF, made two precious embryos, transferred one, and became pregnant. But at 29 weeks, something shocking happened. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Honestly, I felt a lump back in April because I remember of 2019. Coming, yeah, April of 2019 and it was before I got pregnant. It was I was just about to start hormones 
um, because I remember that it was, I was still kind of having my period Mm -hmm. and I had Googled, (laughs) here we go. I Googled (laughs) about this lump in my breast and they said that it's not uncommon to have lumps appear during your menstrual cycle. Right. And, you know, with, with having miscarried in January and all of the different, um, I forgot about the miscarriage. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just kind of thought like, oh, this is all hormonal and I'm sure, you know, it'll be fine. And so anyway, I went April and just chalked it up to hormones. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I I think that people, they're always like, oh, you want to catch it early, but no one's very clear about what early means. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess in my head, it was something that like would be years and years before. Right. (laughs) But it's like. It's months. I mean, right. it's months. It's sometimes weeks can make a difference. Yeah. And I do think had we caught it in April or May or June or July, I would be a completely different story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So April, I just, I felt a lump. I thought it was hormones and I didn't really think much about it because I was going to so many fertility appointments. I felt bad about taking off you know, to go get a lump checked, especially I have no breast cancer in my family. Right. I've always considered myself to be healthy, but now that I actually am like unhealthy, healthy, like I totally know I was not healthy. Right. Uh, like one vegetable a day does not make you healthy, by the <laughs> way. Every time. And so April kind of went on. And then July, I got released from the fertility clinic to my OBGYN. Right. Oh, and you were pregnant at this time. Yeah, I was pregnant. I was about three months pregnant at that time. And when I went to the OBGYN, they did a pap smear and they did a breast exam. And I don't remember mentioning anything to the um, the OBGYN at the time about the lump that mm-hmm. I'd felt. But I do remember feeling relieved that he was feel, you know, feeling right. And, and he didn't say anything because... I guess so much was going on with being pregnant and being paranoid about losing the pregnancy right. that the last thing on my mind was breast cancer. Yeah. So I didn't mention it. And then when he didn't, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm fine. You know, if if there was something bad there, he would have said something. And so that kind of was a crutch for me mm-hmm. probably throughout the rest of my pregnancy because it was like, oh, You know, and then it got to the point where I'm pregnant enough to where I'm like, oh, it's just because of the pregnancy, it's hormonal changes, it's, and how I forgot about it in April, sometimes you just forget, you know, and it's, that's why it's so important to go get it checked out when you notice it. And so, you know, come to mid-November, I'm 28, 29 weeks pregnant. I'm going to my um, OBGYN appointment and there's two things I want to ask him about. And to be honest, he wasn't the warmest person. He didn't Mm. invite you to, he was always in a hurry. It wasn't like, oh, are you experiencing any issues? It was like, let me just measure real quick and then I'm gone and the nurse will take you from there. It's like, I always felt a little intimidated by him, to be honest, um, which I think is just horrible. Yeah. But yeah, I had this huge varicose vein in my leg, which is actually more of a concern to me. I thought for sure, you know, I was like feeling horrible in this pregnancy, which was just not normal Mm. for me. 
I mean, I had like a, a giant varicose vein running down my leg and me not knowing anything about deep vein thrombosis. I thought for sure I had like a blood clot in my leg that was going to go to my lungs. Like, yeah, you know, I just, I knew that there was some reason that I wasn't going to get to enjoy this baby. And oh. it, you know, if it's not the deep vein thrombosis, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I asked him about the deep vein thrombosis and he said it was an artificial, you know, thing and that there's no way that that's going to be the case. And then I said, well, I also have this lump in my breast and I remember holding my fingers in a formation, you know, to show him how big it was. <laughs> or actually, I I did like this, kind of a circular oval with uh -huh. my, my hands and my fingers were almost touching, but not really. And he thought I was talking about the space in between my fingertips when right. I was talking about the entire circumference right. in between my. So when he felt it, I mean, just the look on his face, oh you know, God. like he just knew. And I was just, I knew then that things were not going well. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if I cry. That's okay. It is okay. So. You know, at least he recognized it as being serious enough. And I remember him saying, you know, I can't believe you didn't bring this up sooner. Mm. I said, well, you know, you did a breast exam in July. <laughs> and I thought, you know, you would have felt it if I felt it. And then he just kind of stopped talking from there. <laughs> we dropped that subject quick. Because he didn't want to get some sort of malpractice. Well, yeah. And I can't. I can't tell you how many times it's crossed my mind to go there, but at the same time, I have to take responsibility for my own health, you know? Yeah. 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 It was emotional that day. I know. You know, it was crazy. So my sister was flying in that day. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And my sister, who hardly ever comes to visit, you know, it was really divine timing. So I was at that appointment alone. And then I was going to go from that appointment to pick her up. And they had written me a referral to the um, radiology place in the same hospital as my OBGYN. So I went upstairs and, you know, they said that they couldn't fit me in because Thanksgiving was coming up for another two weeks. And I was like, no. So I went back down to the OB's office and I said, there has to be somewhere else. Um, so she gave me this sheet for the place I go to now. I mean, they have locations all over San Antonio. And so I called them and I said, I don't care where I have to go. I want this done today because I don't want to be, I know this is not good, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if it is not, like if it's actually okay, then I want to know today because in my mind it's not good, you know? Yeah. So anyway, they made me an appointment for 1230. I went and picked my sister up. We went straight to the radiology place and they did, you know, what started with like an ultrasound. And it's one of those moments where it's like, you know, you're this young pregnant person and that's just not like a normal scenario to find breast cancer. It's more normal to find milk duct clogs. Right, or, right, right. You know? And so I don't think that they were expecting it either. And, you know, when they did the ultrasound, then it's a matter of, oh, well, let me go get the radiologist or whatever. And like, basically, like, I, this is like past my pay grade to tell you that this is not going well. Right. You know? So they were techs and they couldn't say anything. Right. And so anyway, they were, they did my breast and, you know, and I was just looking at the screen at this giant mass and just like, what am I doing? Like, it was huge. I'm just appalled. <laughs> 
but then they go up underneath my armpit, mm-hmm. you know, and like, she's just kind of like up in there. And then all of a sudden she starts going slower and taking pictures. And that's when I was like, Oh man, this sh- is getting real, you know, because that would mean I didn't know anything about cancer, but I knew that once it gets in the lymph nodes, it's a different beast, you know? Right. And, uh, at that point, I don't think stage four cancer was really in my mind. I don't know what was in my mind, honestly. I was just afraid to have breast cancer. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it, you it was were just hoping. Well, I remember while talking to you, you saying, "I just hope I have the kind of breast cancer that's easily curable yeah. and that everybody gets." And yeah. <sighs> And yeah. what's unfortunate is that young people typically don't get that kind of breast cancer. Oh, interesting. And I forget something... how old you are. 34? 37. <laughs> <laughs> well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chemo really, like, did something to my complexion. I just look so much younger. Yeah, so that's that's just something that's interesting to point out, like, if you are younger, you know, under 40 and you feel a lump, that's just one more reason to go get it checked out because as far as my understanding, there's basically about five, there's five types of breast cancer. There's estrogen receptive, there's progesterone receptive, there's HER2 positive, and then there's triple negative and triple positive. Okay. Basically, it's the estrogen, progesterone, and HER2. Mm-hmm. And you can be any combination of those things. Okay. So what you want to have is either estrogen or progesterone positive. Mm. What you don't want to have is HER2 positive or um, triple negative breast cancer. And and those are the ones you get under 40 typically. The ones you get after menopause are usually estrogen or progesterone receptive, and those are really slow growing. There's actually a, a woman that I work with who's also young. She noticed the lump three years ago mm-hmm. and just now is getting it treated. Hers is, I think, estrogen and progesterone okay. receptive, and it hasn't spread past her breast. And so that's kind of the difference. It's wow. like I might have had mine for, you know, seven months eight months and mine's, you know, already spread to my liver. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I know. Um, whereas you can get estrogen, you know, estrogen or progesterone positive and it takes forever, like forever. <laughs> yeah. So that day we went and got the, um, the ultrasound and then they're like, you know, we really want to do the biopsy and thank God they did it that day. Biopsy on, on well, my breast. Breast and also the lymph node? Yeah, and my lymph nodes. Okay. So they took three tissue samples from each, and they got the results back on, I think, well, that was a Wednesday. My OB got my results on Thursday, and I was calling his office to get my own health results on Monday, which, you know, this you were is just like, You had just been waiting because you thought they'd call you. Yeah. You know, and I'm just trying to like- hate that shit. <laughs> To be honest, nothing frustrates me more than, oh, well, your doctor has to get your results. And then they, when they have time, they can contact you. Like, email me my results, you know? Like, at least I'll have some kind of, because I went through this again with just my recent testing of like, oh, I'm going to wait till Friday and be totally chill. Knowing they got the results that day, you know, Um, which was a Tuesday. And it's, the waiting is the hardest part. 
every step of this journey, the waiting has been the hardest part. So anyway, I called them a couple times that day. And then I think out of pure frustration with me, they just finally had him call me. Mm -hmm. Good. (laughs) And yeah, so he confirmed that it was breast cancer. And of course, that was just earth shattering. Yeah. You know, so here I am, I'm just pregnant and have breast cancer. And like, what am I going to do? And I'm like alone, you know, I don't, he doesn't have a dad and what am I going to do? You know, what is he going to do? What's going to happen? And then, um, I had a appointment with the surgeon next week and then they hooked me up with the, um, oncologist, which that was kind of a weird thing, but normally in breast cancer, they'll do a mastectomy first or a lump ectomy. Mm -hmm. So normally that is the first course of action, but in the more aggressive forms of breast cancer, they start with chemotherapy because they don't want the cancer to have the opportunity to spread while you're recovering from surgery, which could take up to six weeks. And you can't do chemo when you're recovering because your immunity is lower? It's more probable than not that you'll get an infection while you're on chemotherapy, Mm. but they don't want to increase that risk. I see. So the first stop was to the surgeon, but at that point we didn't know that it was an aggressive form of cancer. I think mm-hmm. they probably had their suspicions. Mm. Then the next week I got an appointment with the oncologist and fortunately my friend Amy was here for that. And again, right. I hardly ever get visitors here. <laughs> and this was just a godsend to have my sister here while I was dealing with getting the the preliminary you know, more probably than not, this is cancer. Um, it was nice to have her here. It was so nice to have Amy here, you know, to go to my appointment with me to find out what exactly was going on with my cancer. Yeah. And I had done a little researching by then enough to know that her two positive was not a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Having Amy there, it's like you try to prepare yourself as much as possible, but you just can't, you know, it's like now I feel like I could get that news and be like, Okay, cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> whatever. Um, back then, though, I was just a baby, and I just, I was so scared. You know, and my oncologist is just wonderful, and, you know, she's everything. But I could tell throughout, you know, the scans, when you're pregnant, you can't just go in for an MRI or go in for a CAT scan or a bone scan. So, you know, I was 28 weeks. She decided we would induce at 36 weeks. I had my first chemotherapy at 30 weeks, which was a a regimen. It's called the Red Devil, Adriamycin and Cytoxin. Wow. Those are specifically designed like they do not cross the placenta. Oh, cool. And so they're healthy. And a lot of women with breast cancer um, do get treatment, and they'll receive it from the second trimester onwards every three weeks. Wow. And it has no effect on, on the baby. And you had told me that your doctor, your oncologist, had worked with a lot of pregnant women before. Yeah, she had said that, you know, she's had a lot of pregnant women with breast cancer. And, you know, I mean, just even with social media, it's amazing. There are so many women with breast cancer that are diagnosed when they're pregnant. It is, I mean, an amazing phenomenon. And honestly, never in my life would I have thought this many young women that are childbearing age or have small children would be getting cancer diagnoses, you know, cervical cancer. My friend Amy, she had um, ovarian cancer, a really bad one. I have another friend that she's 31 and she just had to check herself into hospice from cervical cancer. I have 
another woman that I follow with two small children who passed away two months ago from cervical cancer. And it's like, if people knew how many young women were getting cancer, like you would get it checked. Yeah. And don't believe what doctors say. Even though they see it from time to time, it's not common. And more often than not, they're going to blame it on something totally normal. Hormones or, you know, fibroids or, I mean, every single one of these women's have, have, they all have a story about how, were it not for me being young, cancer is the first thing they would have thought of if you were 50 or 60. Right. And there's women who would be here today if someone would have taken them seriously. And Hmm. it's just too bad. Um, But, you know, aside from that, I guess more than ever, I just realized how much it happens to people my age and I'm not that much of an exception. Like there's a whole group of us, you know, younger than me. I feel, I feel lucky every day that I'm 37. I feel lucky every day that I got to have a child, Yeah, you know, because a lot of these women have that taken from them and it's Mm -hmm. just heartbreaking. But onward to the story, and it's surprising I can still remember where we are. Um, Yeah, yeah, my oncologist kind of told me what's up, and I thought that was the worst day of my life. And uh, (laughs) and then life was like, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) And so I got uh, that day something very traumatic happened. I went home, and there was an oncologist, a friend of mine from back home. Her mother was an oncologist and had just retired in October. And I was, you know, I didn't want to talk to her because I was feeling okay about how everything was going. Um, Because even though the the breast came back as positive, my lymph node had come back as um, negative. Right. I had no signs of cancer in my lymph nodes. And so I was kind of on a high, even though, um, you know, it was kind of clear at this time, looking back, that my oncologist was just not she was not accepting that there was not cancer somewhere else in my body. So she sent me that day for an x-ray of my lungs and then an ultrasound of my liver because she's just trying to look for anything we could possibly find. And um, that's when they found about a tiny lesion on my liver. It's two centimeters. They call it tiny. I think it's huge, (laughs) but I guess comparatively. And so, you know, that was like kind of, earth shattering to think that it could have spread to my liver. But at the same time, when I was in Peace Corps, I got this in this worm Mm -hmm. that specifically burrows in your liver. And I knew that I had that. So I was thinking maybe that's what it is, you know. And I think I told you at that time, well, I've got these masses in my liver and they're completely benign. Oh, yeah. And I mean, honestly, you cannot hear enough good stories, even if you're going to get bad news, because like I said, the waiting is the hardest part. So it's okay to share positive things? Or to be wish hopeful and wishful, have wishful thinking? Yeah. Is that a, uh, I mean, those are the stories that I want to seek out because until you know, yeah, what, what you don't know is always going to be more traumatic. And that's where what happened that same day comes into play because I think that the trauma of my situation and probably a lot of women's situations and men, it could have been a completely different experience were it not for this woman taking it upon herself to tell me that if the spot in my liver was cancer, she, she basically said I needed to reconsider having keeper, you know, induced at 36 weeks because 
Keeper is the name of her son, everybody. <laughs> yeah, Keeper is my son. <laughs> um, and so, you know, basically that I, I need to put him before myself because if the spot in my liver comes back as cancer, then I only have three to five years. Mm -hmm. And I need to be making decisions based on what is in the best interest of him. And I just absolutely, it literally felt like the world was jerked out from under me, not right. just the rug. Like it was right. like, I just, the rug and the floor and I just was falling to middle earth infinitely. Like the room was spinning. I was standing still. I just never felt that hopeless. Oh my God. I can't think of anything more cruel <laughs> than telling someone that at a point where they can't even, I couldn't even get fully diagnosed for another six weeks. Right. And so, you know, that night, I mean, I had panic attacks. I couldn't sleep. I was just absolutely desperate, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's only been recently, probably in the past month, that I can, like, I always have these thoughts, you know, that I won't be here for Keeper, that I won't get to see him past the time that he's two or three or five, you know, and I have those thoughts, but it's only been recently that I don't break down every time I have one of those thoughts. Right. But... You know, like just putting a time frame on a person's life. I know everyone has to know that's so fucking traumatic. Yeah. You know, that's like, I knew that this was my worst fear before it even happened to me. Like, I don't care how I die. I just don't want to know when I'm going to die. Like, mm -hmm. so I think people need to have compassion. And that's something that I just experienced early on is that people say the wrong things all the time. It's like, you can give me hopeful stories. Don't tell me I need to be positive when I just got a cancer diagnosis, but yeah. you can tell me stories that you know, you know, <laughs> that are good stories because I was terrified to look for those stories because I didn't want to find the bad ones. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I don't, resent anyone for making me feel more positive but you know it's like the day that I found out that my my cancer was her too positive it's like I had someone tell me that that's what their mom died from you know I had the oncologist tell me that I had three to five years max like but not your I just want to clarify for the listeners not, not your own. oncologist no that your friend's no. mom and, uh, yeah and um I've probably dealt more with that trauma than the trauma of getting diagnosed with cancer. Right, like, right. I mean, and the reason you couldn't get a diagnosis was because you were pregnant, you couldn't have an MRI, and, right. or, and they couldn't do a needle biopsy of the liver because it's too dangerous, right. right? Yeah, they were going to try, and I actually was checked into the hospital for six hours, um, mm -hmm. and the doctor was just, he just said it's too risky, and it, it, it didn't change the course of treatment. Right. So yeah, I was just kind of in limbo there for a long time and you can't process things you Unbelievable. don't. And, you know, so then, um, I was induced at 36 weeks exactly, um, with keeper 
who was born totally healthy, even <laughs> through his one round of chemo, and he's a monster now. <laughs> how and, how big was he? Let's hear some of the good things about his birth. And, and I mean, I can say that he was and is so beautiful. One of the yeah, cutest I, babies on the planet. I'm biased. Uh, so. Well, he's, I think many agree. <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Anyway, he was born 6 pounds, 9 ounces, 20 inches, and he is just the best baby. He just keeps getting cuter, too, and I just like... (laughs) I just thought he was so cute when he was born. And then when I look back at his newborn picture, I'm like, how is this possible? That he also, because his personality is coming out, you know, I didn't realize like when babies are newborns, I just felt so judged all the time. Why? (laughs) Because they don't smile at you. They won't make eye contact. Like it's basically, you're just like a a maiden there to like feed them and then just have no reciprocation or (laughs) And you also had all your, you were also immediately starting chemo and going through so much and your mom was there. Yeah. My mom has been here since I was diagnosed. She was in Japan when I was diagnosed. And so as soon as she got back, she was on a plane here and she's only gone back home for about a week or two. And, uh, but yeah, so he was born on that Friday and it was amazing and we we were released on Saturday, so he was super healthy. And then Tuesday, I went in for a full day of testing. I had my MRI, I had a CT scan, I had a bone scan, and Amy was here. My mom, everybody was here, basically. Yeah. <laughs> we had a full house. And um, but it was the worst day. I mean, that's like the day. So the CT scan results came back and we went upstairs just to see what they were because, you know, I'd been wondering what's on my liver for seven weeks now. Mm-hmm. And um, and so my doctor, like I could just tell by the look on her face, you know, that it was cancer. And so I was just, you know you don't hear good things about stage four right off the bat. And I mean, honestly, what I had in my head was three to five years. Like if she says this is cancer, I have three to five years. Before you move on, can you say what stage four means? Yeah. So stage four in most situations, it is spread to what they call like a distant site, like it's metastasized to a distant site. Mm -hmm. To me and to most of like the science community, stage four means that you have cancer in your blood to the point where you're never going to be cured of cancer Mm. to the point where the cancer could return at any time over the course of your life, however long that is. The issue with that, I guess, is that, you know, you just always have to be on guard and there's not really, cancer is just like anything else. It's adaptable. And 
although there's all kinds of different types of cancer and we can treat certain types way more efficiently than others, it basically the chemotherapy that I had, it, it doesn't cross what they call the blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. And so the chemotherapy, it'll treat sites that are already, you know, like the, the mass in my breast, it'll, it'll work on the spot in my liver. But if there's cancer circulating in my blood, it doesn't do anything to that cancer. That cancer is always there and there's no way to get rid of it. She did quotes with her fingers just now. Yeah, <laughs> air quotes because air quotes. But there are alternative ways, I think that. There's alternative treatments and people have had success with them. There's diet changes that people have had success with. Mm -hmm. You know, some people do everything right and they still succumb to their cancer. Mm -hmm. I kind of personally hate the idea of like, you know, someone being like a cancer fighter or warrior, you know, Mm -hmm. because they beat it. Because I've just seen too many women who are warriors (laughs) that have not. Right. But... You know, it's like... Because it puts all the responsibility on you. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. It does. Because you already feel the responsibility and, you know, it's not, not only do you die, but you're a failure and you didn't fight. You didn't do enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. um... I have a quick question. I'm so sorry. Okay. Back when you were still pregnant, did you just do one chemo or was there more... I know you lost your hair while you were pregnant and you have these magnificent pictures up on Instagram and oh and there was a GoFundMe. Yeah, the GoFundMe. Is it did still around? Can people still give to it? Um yeah, I still have it up. You know, I have it in my to... I'll put it in the show notes, everybody, if you want to donate to the GoFundMe. That's interesting that you say that now because so one of the things that I did the air quotes about is that there is a cancer treatment center um, called Hope for Cancer Uh that I've been looking into because, I mean, there's a lot going on with my cancer because I'm, I do feel really hopeful. Um, I don't believe that I'm going to die in three to five years, but I think I'm, I'm just really hopeful. And, you know, the fact that the cancer was not found in my lymph nodes, which they did do a re-biopsy because they just couldn't believe it. Yeah. So they re-biopsied. So I've had a total of eight biopsies on my lymph nodes and mm-hmm. not one of them has come back with cancer. The only spot that I have of cancer is on my liver and it's really small. Now it's gotten smaller. Well, now how many chemos have you done now? Well, I did one of the Red Devil. I did five of what they call the TCHP protocol. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to do six, but I had a low platelet count. Mm-hmm. And so they canceled the last one. Um, and so then I had a six-week break, and now I started my Herceptin Progetta, which is kind of a it's a targeted therapy. Mm-hmm. It's still chemo, but it targets only cancer cells. And so my healthy cells are getting the opportunity to regenerate. Ah, Yeah, so I started that one. My numbers haven't returned. Actually, they've gotten worse. So my white and red blood cell uh, count has gone into the low end, which Uh is, it was, they were normal the whole time. Uh, They were getting a little lower, but now they're actually officially low which is a great time to have coronavirus <laughs> happening. <laughs> I mean, what a fucking year, dude. 
<laughs> for you. Yeah. So, um, oh my God. Yeah. So I, I started Hercept and Progetta and that, you know, where, where stage four being incurable comes in is that I'll be on Herceptin and Progetta for the rest of my life. I'll have wow. it every three weeks. Wow. Um, because scientifically I can never be cured. Even if the cancer never returns for 20 years, they have to assume that it's still in my blood because it's spread to a, a site outside of my breast. Yeah. Um, but I found, you know, through social media, there were women that were talking about oligometastic cancer mm-hmm. and it's basically this kind of gray area between stage three and stage four of your cancer has spread, but it's only spread to either like less than it's less than five tumors in only one to two sites. Got it. And I only have one tumor and all the tumors have to be under five centimeters or something. And I only had the one two centimeter with no lymph node involvement which means that basically what could have happened is that, you know, part of the tumor could have gotten into my bloodstream and landed on my liver. But the fact that it's not elsewhere in my body means that, you know, it's not saturating my blood to the point where it's like, you know, a wildfire. Mm-hmm. I maybe had one or two parts in my blood. And once we remove the tumor, once we remove or get rid of the cancer, there's no more opportunity for it to take up in my blood, which means that I could hypothetically be cured, although never, I could never scientifically or medically be cured, you know? As of now. Yeah. As of now, things yeah, could always yeah. change. And just, just last month, they came up with a new treatment. And this is where I'm very, very lucky. And this is, you know, a lot of my, like, positive outlook now because it was, I was not doing well (laughs) during chemo. I had a lot of anxiety and the chemo I think contributed to it. Yeah. But once I got done with that chemo, I feel like myself again, you know, part of it is that I realize how lucky I am to have been diagnosed with, you know, HER2 positive, even though it's a really aggressive cancer, it's one of the most researched breast cancers. And it is also one of the most treatable breast cancers while it's treatable. Basically, that just means that they've actually developed targeted therapies that will shrink and kill the cancer to an extent, you know, until it evolves or if it evolves. I mean, I know a woman she was diagnosed 11 years ago and was on the clinical trials for the Hercept or the Progetta, I believe, or the Herceptin, one of them. And she had 28 tumors all over her body. And at the end of chemo, she had three tumors and she, her whole, for the last 11 years, May is the year that she reached 11 years. She has had those three tumors and they've not grown, but they've not shrunk. They've just been completely stagnant. She gets her Herceptin and Progetta every three weeks, and she's been totally fine. Wow. Yeah, so there definitely are success stories, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was just with my oncologist. And so there's a lot of reason to be hopeful. I'm thankful for every day that I get to see Keeper and be with Keeper and experience being a mother. Well, I also want to say there's no more tumor in your breast. Well, so <laughs> oh, then I don't want to say that I got that wrong. See, this is why I don't talk. <laughs> yeah, my midline, 
Um, my midline exam, because they could only do the CT scan, they didn't do the MRI. Uh-huh. The CT scan showed no tumor, which is awesome because that's when is the midline seven. test? I don't know when that it was that. midline, just meaning it was the midway through my chemotherapy. Gotcha. Yeah. So that test three three cycles of the TCHP and one cycle of the Adriamycin in. I had no tumor. And I mean, I could feel it after even just the Adriamycin. Like I'm mm. like, I seriously don't feel anything. And so the CT scan showed no no signs of it. However, the MRI that they just did, I have eight millimeters. Oh, that's, um, that's very yeah, little. which is not bad. Yeah. yeah. And the one in my liver that had shrunk to one centimeter midline is still one centimeter. That one hasn't budged. Uh-huh. It'll just be interesting to see how things play out because because of COVID, we're waiting to do both my mastectomy and Usually in metastasized cancer, they won't surgically remove any other cancer sites because they think it's pointless um, because it's in your blood. However, in my situation, because they're because it's only in my liver, they are going to do a removal of that tumor. And so I'm really hopeful about that because I just really am clinging on to this idea that it's not established in my blood and that I can, you know, not have to have another recurrence because it's just traumatic. Yeah. Well, and when we were talking about the GoFundMe, you said, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because, and I think I sort of got us off track. Because you actually brought us full circle. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. (laughs) So because I have the cancer existing in my liver and my breast in the small amounts, and because we know that at some point did dislodge and become like in my blood, like in the back of my head, I'm so nervous. And because my numbers, you know, are getting like, you know, I don't have this amazing immune system that I thought I had. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm worried because it's like, you just question everything in your life. You know, you're like, man, was I really ever healthy? Like, (laughs) so now I'm just kind of, I don't want this cancer to come back. And I just, it's hard because I don't want finances to come in between me getting the treatments I need to be here. But at the same time, I don't also want to be asking people for money. Anyway, um, we want to give you money because it's no one's problem, but mine, but there's a, there's a treatment center in, in Mexico and you go for three weeks and they do, they have just such phenomenal alternative treatments that there there's women who have gotten like grim diagnoses. There's one that I follow online and her name is it's not Kate's time. And I think there's underscores or something mm-hmm. from Australia or something. And she went there and like her cancer is gone and she was given like a really bad prognosis. And I think she's a single mother by choice. Shut up. Yeah. God damn it. I mean, I, I don't know why I'm saying God damn it, but that's just. Yeah, <sighs> it's insane. And her, her kid, I think is around two or three maybe. And, um, and she's extremely inspirational, but I found her early on, but I'm like, I really want to, in my heart, I felt like I needed to do the Western treatments, the chemo, especially because I have one that's so responsive to chemo. Mm-hmm. But you know, now that I'm at the end of that treatment and I'm not cancer free, like I had hoped to be by the summer, I'm a little afraid about what's in my bloodstream because even after we remove these tumors, 
I'm worried that it's going to come back somewhere else where I'm not going to be able to feel it. You know, if it comes back in my lungs and it's just by the time you find out you have cancer on your lungs, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I go back and forth about like, am I doing the right thing? Because I don't want to go broke, you know, and be in financial ruins, but I also don't want to die and leave my son, you know, wondering about any part of his family. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like his dad's a sperm donor. And like, if I'm not here, then he's just not, you know, that connection. I, I want him to have a connection and yeah. So anyway, they do all kinds of treatments. They do like, they actually, take the blood out of your body and they put it under infrared lights mm. to kill the cancer cells. You start every day off with vitamin C drips. They do like juicing, you know, so you have like raw juices. They have like vegan chefs. So you're getting like all of the like plant-based nutrition that you need. Mm-hmm. And then you have light therapies. There's like near infrared technology. They do hyperbel like hyperbaric oxygen chambers. Mm-hmm. They have um, infrared saunas. I mean, literally every alternative treatment they do it there. Wow. And so you're so it's you- not medic. It's not a medical experiment that you'd be doing it's just right. alternative yeah it's alternative treatment it's actually you know i've researched a lot of the treatments individually which is why i follow a lot of the people that go do those because mm-hmm. i want to know what treatments they're doing and i mean there's no lack of and i bought just i just started using a near infrared heat lamp mm-hmm. and i mean that has so many and not a single person is saying no that doesn't work right you know? well i have a question about the place so if you were to do that, it wouldn't preclude you from doing your med- your Western medicine yeah. stuff here. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But okay. what it does is it basically it works on like immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. Like and when I talked to an expert early on in my my cancer kind of research, like he said that, you know, the way to cure cancer is immunotherapy. You're only going to get so far when you're actually bringing your immunity down, which is what we're doing with the chemo. It's like in order to actually affect the cancer cells, you also have to kill the good cells, the healthy cells, which in turn you have low white blood cell, you have low red blood cell. So what does that do? It makes your body more prone to like having other illnesses or having the cancer take off because you've weakened your own immunity. And so that's what I worry about with my numbers getting lower, even though I've been out of chemo for six weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to have to be on chemo for the rest of my life. It's like, and I've been trying, like I've been taking mushroom supplements. I've been taking spirulina, chlorella, vitamin B6, B12, like eating mostly vegan. Um, I mean, I like, I eat more fruits and vegetables now than I think I've eaten like over the course of my life, like in one day. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've researched about a vegan diet and cancer? Um, Yes. (laughs) Sorry. Is it Uh, too much? No, it's not too much. It's just it's amazing how much I feel like my whole life is like a lie. (laughs) It's just crazy because the more I read about 
meat and dairy products. And believe me, I freaking love meat and dairy products. And I can, I, I was supposed to be vegan yesterday and I had cheese pizza instead. Like, <laughs> even though I know it's bad for me, I keep going back because they are so good. And so I'm not like, everybody has their own timing to do whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having like a death sentence in your face is like, good (laughs) but anyway all the all the books all the research all the people that are like oh yeah you know I came back from stage four cancer like this should have killed me in five years and here I am 20 years later it's like a lot of them have cut out meat a lot of them have cut out dairy basically we're supposed to be eating way more vegetables and fruit like our our food pyramid is like flipped upside down from what it should be right even Susan G. Komen there's like an interesting documentary on Netflix, but like Susan G. Komen, one of the main like things that lead to breast cancer is dairy consumption apparently. And Mm. I cannot tell you how much milk I was drinking when I was pregnant with Keeper. It was like I was addicted to, like I was drinking, I was, I was having to shop for milk probably every three days. And I was getting like two of the big, like organic Right, you know, milk things and drinking those within two or three days. Well, like, you know, dairy's addictive. It is. Right? It's got, right? what does it have? Um, opiates? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's like a small amount of opiates in, in dairy so that your child will become addicted and, and want to drink more and grow stronger. Yeah. And well, that's why we- you have to wean off, wean a kid off of dairy. Yeah. Approximately 82% of milk protein is casein. When broken down, these casein proteins are called casomorphins, casein-derived morphine-like compounds, and they can attach to the same brain receptors that heroin and other narcotics attach to. Why are they in our milk? To reward the baby for nursing. Opiates have a calming effect, and they also cause the brain to release dopamine, leading to a sense of reward and pleasure. That pleasure that you can see in a baby's face when they've just eaten and their eyes roll back in their heads and they're super high, that's because they're on drugs. Anyway, most of this information was from Forks Over Knives, which is obviously a vegan book, documentary, and website now. But this information is well documented all over the internet and other publications. You know, and they say that the only way to get calcium and protein, like those are the big like buzzwords with diet when it comes to animal products. It's like, well, how are you going to get your protein? How are you going to get your calcium? Like the one thing I've not had an issue with, and I was the, I was doing really good and pretty strongly vegan for the first four months. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, my skin had never looked better. <laughs> Even after my first chemotherapy treatment, my skin had never looked better. I'm like, I really, I want to get back to that because it's like, I could see how healthy I was, even mm-hmm. though my hair was gone. And um, like, I didn't have these bags under my eyes anymore. It was miraculous. And my energy, because with Keeper, I had no energy when I was pregnant with him. And like, I was still pregnant when I went on this diet and had chemo. And I had more energy than I did my whole pregnancy. But yeah, the chemo, just the effects of that were just, they beat me down so hard that it was yeah. hard to contain that. Um, I also want to tell everybody how uh, you documented everything on Instagram the whole time and on Facebook. Yeah. And you're just such a wonderful writer and you were sharing your experience. And it was sometimes it was heartbreaking, but always so powerful. And uh, there was so much strength behind every post that you ever that you ever did and um, you inspire so many people it's pretty amazing yeah I felt for a while there that I wasn't really (laughs) 
inspiring anyone. I well, that I mean, that's not your reasoning for doing it. You just the inspiration was a byproduct. It was ultimately for you to express yourself and to talk about all of this stuff. We selfishly were inspired. Well, you know, it's funny because, and honestly, some of the times when I wrote that stuff, it was, I think you feel a lot of pressure as like a cancer patient to mm -hmm. always be inspiring and, right. and to always be positive. But it's like, it was hard because it's like, I like some of the women that I follow that are so inspiring. It's like, man, I love that they're so inspiring. But when I'm really going through it, I hate it because yeah. I don't feel like I'm living and I feel like I'm a failure. And, you know, and this is where it's like you do this, too, because it's mm -hmm. like so many times when I don't I think of you and like I kind of channel you because you say the things that are hard and you don't try to pretend that it's all sunshine and rainbows. And like that's exactly how I feel through this is like people need to know that people are fucking struggling sometimes yeah you know and that that doesn't define you necessarily that you don't have to like I never think of Molly as like oh she's so sad and like <laughs> you know it's like, no, like I worry sometimes that people are gonna think oh like if I'm sad in an episode or if I if I cry too many times in one in consecutive episodes people are gonna think that I have some I don't know emotional problem but yeah I just document those moments with your feelings and the yeah. truth is that everyone feels that way and like everybody goes through hard times and like especially during chemotherapy and like there's too many women that I watch that don't talk about the hard stuff that makes me feel like I'm inadequate and it makes me feel like I'm not doing it right and that I'm not inspirational and that I'm not positive enough, which is just way more than I'm willing to handle while also dealing with cancer, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I think for me, it's just important to like be that voice that speaks to all, all the other people, like the actual real people like me who also think that chemo is hard in itself yeah. <laughs> and you don't understand why you know it's like the physical part is just the physical part and that's the part that people can see it's the mental part that's the the real hard journey part of it is the mental part you know and then when you're over and over again beaten down by the physical stuff that yeah. that's going to take a huge toll on your emotions well, it does it feels like you're just like you know walking out in the water and you get like bowled over by a wave and you get up to catch your breath and oh, like fuck. just as you catch your breath like another wave comes oh. God. Like that's really what it felt like because days one through 18 was pretty horrible and then 19 and 20 I'm like I feel amazing and then it was like oh here we go again day yeah and like here's your chemo yeah <laughs> so yeah it does but I just there were times that I I felt really bad and I felt negative and I had bad feelings about feeling negative because yeah, yeah. I felt like I needed to be more positive that I wasn't being like a fighter or a warrior that I was being weak and now that I'm like back in my right mind I'm glad that I was feeling that way so I could be open about feeling that way for people who are going through it and yeah, feel yeah. that way you know yeah and I think You've also learned from that that you're, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming that you're not as hard on yourself anymore if you happen to eat some dairy or chicken or that you're allowing yourself to be imperfect. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still like, I just got my test results back 
from my last um, blood test, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. like, why is my, why are my white and red blood cells down? Like I've been, you know, maybe if I was doing better on my diet, maybe if I would have kept to my vegan diet, I wouldn't have cancer right now. Like when you have that inclination to question yourself, it's just, I've gotten better at trying to not listen to that voice as much. Yeah. You know, because at this point, what can you do? Like it's already done and I'm doing what I can do and I'm trying to make it sustainable. And so it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't do 100% plant-based vegan right now. Like eventually I want to work up to that, mm -hmm. but you know, I still crave what I crave. And yeah. so now I'm trying to find replacements that are vegan, not whole food, you know, plant-based vegan, but vegan that I can sub in for savory things that I'm used to. Mm -hmm. If I have to cheat sometimes, like yesterday when I was hungry and I knew, cause I get really angry <laughs> when I'm hungry. And so does Keeper actually, he gets that for me for sure. <laughs> You oh, know, can we talk like, about the breast milk that people have been sending you? Oh my God, that's been so amazing. He's oh. been on just breast milk for four months. All donated breast milk. All donated. And um, my friends in California were pumping. At the time, Jenny's baby was seven months. And then um, Ashley, she had just had a baby, I think was four or five months at the time. And so they like did not even hesitate to like start pumping and storing and saving for me, which was amazing because I thought I was going to just be like piecemealing breast milk together, like getting it from wherever and then having to research because there are um, Facebook groups. One that I went through, which I still use to this day is human milk for human babies. And uh, that's a great place for women, not just women who are like going through disease and can't pump, you know, or have, feed their own child, but women who are just having issues with breastfeeding, but want to give their child, you know, breast milk or yeah. want to supplement with someone else's breast milk. That's a great place, a great resource. And you just find the chapter for your state. So mine is, um, you know, human milk for human babies, Texas or San Antonio cool. operation Ohana. Uh, they delivered breast milk, which they shipped in from Colorado and California and then there's a local place in Texas, which was just amazing, and it's called Third Strand. Mm -hmm. And the guy who started that, his sister had passed away shortly after giving birth to her child. <laughs> and they got a large donation of breast milk, but they had no idea where it came from. And so they were hesitant to give it to the baby, and they tried to trade it into the Austin Milk Bank, and they... Um, the Austin Milk Bank wouldn't take it. And they were just thinking, you know, donor breast milk is so expensive if you go through the milk bank. Plus it's pasteurized, which of course is like, a, it's a health code thing. But once you pasteurize breast milk, you're, you're heating it to an extreme temperature, which is also, what do we know about heating anything? It takes nutrients from that thing. And it's perfectly formulated for your baby. So changing it is not a good idea. And then you're paying a ginormous amount for that breast milk mm -hmm. and um, you need a lot of it. <laughs> and so third strand, they work specifically with women who medically are unable to, you know, breastfeed their child, whether it be due to a cancer diagnosis or, you know, the mother passed away for whatever reason and, or, or if you adopted a child, mm -hmm. uh, 
And so what they did is I filled out an application and it's one of those things you just don't think that you're actually going to get the donation, but you're hopeful. And like two days later, the guy called me and, you know, was doing like an interview and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this. And he was like, okay, well, so when can we bring the breast milk? And they like volunteers with the organization drove like eight hours to a place nearby and we got 10 gallons <laughs> of breast milk and it fed him for a month and three weeks. Wow. Pure, just all breast milk, like no substitutions. Um, after that, I was going to supplement with formula, but then another, like people have just really come through and oh my God, what an amazing, like it sucks to get cancer. <laughs> When you're pregnant, you know, most of all, but, um, man, the way that people have really just stepped up and like gone to bat for me and gosh, like it's so inspiring and it is just absolutely the most heartwarming, like people will go their whole lives without realizing the capacity of other people for caring. And just to get to experience this, it's like the closest thing I think would be like, getting to actually attend your own funeral. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, everyone is just absolutely going out of their way to just be there for you. And I have the best freaking friends in California and you and just everyone has just been there. Like, when can we come help? When can, you know, and of course, coronavirus is thrown a wrench and all that, but yeah. you know, in any way that they possibly can, but there's a woman that, didn't even know me. And I posted on the human milk for human babies. And one of the overwhelming things about getting milk donations is like, you have to spend a full day driving around town to pick up donations. And this woman, I mean, she didn't even like check in. She just, she sent me a message and said, I've picked up 500 ounces of breast milk already. And I'm going to a couple more places. Are, is there anywhere else you want me to stop? And then I'm going to come bring it to you. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> like, like that was her first, the first message she ever sent to me. Oh and I mean, she's an amazing woman. She's actually treating leukemia on herself that she was diagnosed with two years ago, just with diet. And it's just wow. amazing how these people come into your life. But from her, we got connections with other women um, who are like mostly vegan because she's in like a crunchy moms group on Facebook. And this other woman has like been donating breast milk. We have not had to put Keeper on anything but breast milk his whole life. I don't know that I would have been able to do that just on your own. My own. Yeah. I don't think I would have. Third Strand, I mean, they were just remarkable. And I can't, Third Strand, Ohana Operation. And uh, just the kindness of, you know, women who are just giving so selflessly and they don't ask for anything in return. You are such a giver and you've been giving your whole life. I'm glad that people are giving back to you, you know, being in the Peace Corps and uh, being a surrogate two times. No, it is amazing. And, you know, it's just been it's like definitely been just such a mixed experience. It's yeah. like the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And, you know, I think the thing at the end of the day is like just with anybody who's going through like a health thing like this, it's like you just have to be hopeful. You know, it's like 
you have to experience the bad days when you have them and you have to not be hard on yourself for having them. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're slapped with. You just have to be hopeful until there's a reason not to be. And then the thing is, is like, I think if anything, we, I just have learned how adaptable, mm-hmm. we are. you know, when you're, when you're put into an experience where I could never imagine being where I am five months ago. I, right. all I could think about is the fact that I was never going to ever be happy again. And that, you know, I was going to have three to five years and I just, and then even a month after that, just, you know, with breaking into tears all the time, like when I hear a song or I see a child past the age of three or, and I still have those moments, but I think that those are, I probably would have had those moments regardless, honestly, (laughs) because I just want to be here so bad to watch him grow up, you know? Yeah. That's why more than ever. And with coronavirus and everything, it's, I've just seen so much bad these past few months and all of the really worst case scenarios that can happen for people that I'm thanking my lucky stars that I am in the position that I'm in. And I know that I'm worse than some people's situation, but I'm a hell of a lot better than other people's. And the fact that I'm like not struggling to breathe and that I have this beautiful sun and that I can go outside and enjoy the sunshine, you know, and everyone that I love, like my whole family is well, you know? Yeah. There's just so many things to be thankful for if you don't get so distracted by the one or two things going on to not be thankful for, you know? Yeah. How old is Keeper now? He's four months and he's freaking giant. <laughs> he's four months and he is 17 pounds. Oh, wow. He's 27 and a half inches. And he no longer, he, we're basically retiring nine month clothes for him. I'm so right, he's yeah. in 12, 12 to 18 month clothing because he's too long for like the footsie pajamas. My mom was saying he looks like such a big baby. And I said, no, that's just because he's always closer to the camera in the pictures. And she's like, no, <laughs> Ma, that's a big baby. He is big. Do you want to see him? Yes, I want to see I'll him. I'll him real quick. Here we go. Hi, Keeper. Say hi to Hello, Molly. beautiful. Hello. That's Molly. Hi. <laughs> He's so cute. I can't wait to meet you in person. We're planning on moving back up to California uh, next March. Amazing. This coming March, so... I just want to be around my friends and yeah. realize now more than ever what's really important in life and that's to be happy, you know, and like I'm making good money and I live in a three bedroom house, but I'm not where I'm happy. So it's like, yeah. I'll just go live in a room somewhere yeah. <laughs> around friends and the beach and everything. And Oh, I can't well, wait. Yeah. I can't wait. But yeah, we'll have to hang out for sure. Oh, I'm excited. I mean, excited to meet you in person. And I, I'm hopeful for the next few months. And what's that? I said, that's crazy. Because I just didn't, I just now realized that we haven't actually ever met in person. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. <laughs> it's weird, you know? Yeah. But, but you're a good friend to me. I've called you when I'm in crisis. And uh, you've really helped me. So same same yeah. thing yeah inspire me 
if I really think that if it wasn't for you and reaching out to me, I don't think I would have ever started my fertility stuff when I did. And I would never have had a baby, you know, he wow. came in time Aww. because yeah, the Herceptin and Pergetta that I have to be on forever, like, yeah. uh, bad for fetuses. So, right. Oh, so you wouldn't, oh my God. Yep. So he, you would have had to get a surrogate. Yeah, exactly. I actually That's have one wild. embryo, but I don't know that it's like a good embryo. Uh-huh. And I have one embryo left that I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with. Because my mom said that she would carry it. But then I'm like, <laughs> also, like, when you get a stage four cancer diagnosis, it feels irresponsible to be family building at the same right. time, you know? Right. But whatever. Yeah. That would be wild. How old is mom? She's in her... Mom, how old are you? 63. <laughs> Mom, I love you. I thank you so much for taking care of Shelby and Keeper for all these months. That's what moms do. Oh, oh my goodness. What a lady. Yeah, she's been a saint, honestly. Oh. I don't know what I would do without her. Cause I know. I think even without having cancer, having a newborn. <laughs> oh, my God. Hard enough. Yeah, yeah. so. She's been awesome, but all right. Well, well, I love you so much, and I'm so glad that you're feeling well. I'm so glad that we finally connected and did this because I've been wanting to, but I didn't. I also don't want to. I don't want to hit you at the wrong time. I don't want to be like, "Hey, want to do a podcast?" And you're in the middle of like a breakdown. No, there's less chance of that now. Usually, yeah. I'm only having a breakdown if I'm hungry or the day of chemo. <laughs> um, but. Yeah. yeah. Thank you Thank so you. much. I'm going to send people to your GoFundMe and your, your Instagram. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know that I ever made a full thought on the GoFundMe, so I'll just give you a oh, quote yeah. now. But, yeah, so basically, like, I'm thinking that maybe the only way to really get it out of my blood is to do all these natural treatments at this place. It's one of those things that I go back and forth on because the cost of it is, like, anywhere from 35 to $50,000 mm-hmm. for the three week stay. I don't have that kind of money laying around, but it's one of those things that I just am like, well, I don't have the money to do it. I don't want to go into debt doing it Yeah. because what if I don't need it? But then I also don't want to be three years from now, you know, having cancer sprout up all over my body. That's not being controlled by the chemo and say, man, I wonder what would have happened if I would have just gone into debt. Like, yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things. And I'm still, you know, regardless of the GoFundMe and all that stuff, I'm still on the fence about it because the universe provides. <laughs> right. And no matter what, you're not going to do something irresponsible. You'll keep looking into it. And if yeah. if if people do give to your GoFundMe, they can be confident that you're not going to just go on a whim. Once you get yeah. a certain amount of money, you're going to really make the best choice. And I'm, I'm trying to piecemeal those treatments together. So like I just bought a near infrared, uh, heat lamp, mm-hmm. uh, which I started using. And then I'm also going to start going for vitamin C treatments, um, locally, but they're like a hundred dollars a pop and you have to uh-huh. get three a week wow. um, over the course of at least like a month for them to take effect. So it, wow. it's it expensive, <laughs> you know, doing these alternative treatments in that kind of piecemeal way. There's yeah. saunas, there's hyperbaric oxygen chambers, there's all those things. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's something that I'm floating around the idea of, you know what yeah. I mean? But you know, the thing is like, I'll 
regardless of, of uh, what happens, it's like, I just have to keep trying to make all the best decisions that I can possibly make. So, yeah. so we'll see. All right. We'll see. All well, right. Love you guys. Have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. Call me anytime. Okay. We'll do. Be safe. Bye. Bye, Keeper! Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Shelby has started a brand new GoFundMe, a fresh start, with a goal of $54,000. She's asking for $18 from 3,000 people, and I think we can make a huge dent in that goal. There's a link to the GoFundMe in my show notes, and I'll also put a link in my bio, in my Instagram. But if you want to just search for it on GoFundMe, just type in her name, Shelby Gale, G-A-L-E, or type in Shelby's Hope for Cancer. Four is the number four. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. You are so brave and so powerful and so inspiring, and I love you so much. That's it for this episode, everybody. Thank you again to all of my patrons, new and old. Tune in next week for pregnancy results. And if you need an ear, I'm here for you for fertility consultations. Just email me at spermcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at spermcast. Leave a message or text me at 323-741-1818. And that's it. I'll talk to you later. I love you so much. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black to white. Tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Powered by Acast. 